Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Make Believe Heroes. Today, I am excited for you all to hear this very, very special episode. Uh, We've worked really hard on it, and I hope that when this one is finished, many of the questions that you have, maybe things that you've considered over the last two seasons, will finally be answered. There's a lot to cover, a lot to show, a lot to say, so I don't want to take long here, but I do want to do two quick things. First, I need to give a big shout-out to BattleBards.com. I'd like to say thanks to them for allowing us to use all their sound effects and music in the show, and we love it. And if any of you would like to go try it out, you should do so. As I always tell you, go use the code Podcast to get 15% off of a BattleBards Prime subscription. The second thing that I want to say, though, is we are ending season two right here. We had the finale last week, and uh, we've had a great response to that. I'm really excited about everything that we've heard and all the questions, all the comments. You guys are awesome. And thank you so much for listening, for following along in this season. But this epilogue, I think, will finally answer many questions, many, many, many questions. That being said, it's probably going to inspire a whole new slew of questions. And regarding those, I would like for you to click the link in the show notes to the Google Doc that I've presented, the form, if you will, for you all to fill out your questions for our upcoming Season 2 Q&A. Our patrons are going to have exclusive access to a Q&A that we're going to do live every month going forward. But for this one, the way we're going to handle it is we're going to stream it live for all of our $5 and above patrons. So you all will be able to listen in and tune in as we answer your questions live and maybe even submit some and interact with us on there if you tune in for that as a patron. But then once that's finished, uh, about a week, week and a half after that, we will release this Q&A as our Season 2 wrap-up Q&A for all of our listeners. So that will go right into the podcast feed. Our general Q&A live chats that we're going to be doing month to month for our patrons, those won't be released in the regular feed. Those will be exclusive to our patrons. But this one, as well as subsequent season wrap-up Q&As, will. Those will be released to all of our fans, all of our listeners. So if you have any questions for me, for Misk, for Saul, Kjorg, Brackle, for Miles, for any of us, please go now, click the link, and submit your questions for the Q&A. We're going to be compiling those and answering as many questions as we can. We're really excited to talk about Season 2, what it's meant to us, all of our thoughts about it, and then to dig into all of your questions. So please click the link, submit those questions, and we look forward to talking to you more very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Let's return to Branshire one more time in Make Believe Heroes Season 2. Miles, Misk, the two of you, along with everyone else in Branchar, are pressing and running toward the first doorway that you can find, the first place of shelter. And since you two are already headed toward the barley barrel, that's where you head, and you get to the door, and it is locked. It's 
closed. It's sealed up. There it seems like there's a board over it. And there's a crowd of people beating on the door, pulling on it, screaming for them to let them in. And you assume that they probably shut the door when the war started, you know, like keeping everyone out. But now the war has effectively come to a stop. People are no longer worried about fighting their enemy. They're worried about getting away from the weather, nature, that has suddenly lost its mind and is trying to destroy everything. The wind is blowing. You guys see barrels go flying through the air. You see boards uh, come rip off the wall. You see someone just get hit by one. And it, it's crazy out here. You're just huddled up against the wall of the barley barrel yelling. People are trying to get in and the door is just, it's shut. Moments pass, it feels like an eternity, obviously, as this, this storm is happening all at once. It just, all of a sudden, you know, you saw the cloud above you, Misk. All of a sudden, the winds have opened, lightning is coming down, and it's like the world is tearing itself apart right here. But just as suddenly as it occurred, it all just stops. The wind lies down. You hear as the thunder rolls away. And Misk, you take a couple steps back from the door of the barley barrel, and looking up, you can see that that great black and purple swirling cloud that was descending over the Temple of Pelor has split, and it is dissipating, slowly stopping its circular turning and just fading away. And now the city is a lot more quiet than it has been for the last few hours where it's just been yelling and fighting and people are looking around and quiet for a moment just looking up and seeing as all this has happened and just unsure, uncertain, but it seems that the threat has passed. I have no idea what just happened. This this is nowhere near natural. This is some crazy magical or this isn't otherworldly feet that's gone down that's been controlled and something has stopped it and I have no clue what it could be. I have a pretty good guess of who had a big part in this and I'm pretty sure it was our mayor, Braxton Tark. That beloved mayor. But it looks like everything's fine now. You say that and as you do, you look around and you notice that amongst all the people that are around you, there are still many of them that seem to be at odds. You can see certain hot foot soldiers, thieves, assassins, Miles, as you glance around, you see them and people are looking from one to another, but no one is holding their swords up. No one is looking to kill their neighbor. Everyone's just sort of stopped. It almost seems like there was a madness that had descended all at once in the midst of this great battle that had taken place. But now, with everything that's happened, it's come to a lull, and no one's ready to stir it back up. At that moment, you hear a sound ring out across the city. It doesn't sound like someone that either of you would recognize. It sounds like an older man speaking. People of Branshire... This is your cleric, Glaron. Lay down your weapons. This battle is over. The mayor is dead. Help your friends. Help your family. Heal those that are wounded. Bring them to the temple. And we will rebuild everything that has been torn down over this week 
and over this last year. Take heart, good friends. Paylor has blessed us with one more day. We will rebuild each thing that was broken, and Branshire shall be better for it. Come to the Temple of Paylor, my children. Here we shall stand, all of us, together, once again, in the sun. And as soon as those words are done, you see all the people around that still were holding some sort of a pan or a stick or even a sword. You see them drop their weapons or put them back in their sheaves or back over their shoulders. And they go over and reach down a hand to help someone who's fallen down. You even see a number of these Hotfoot members doing the same thing. Walking around, picking up someone who's fallen, helping someone who is wounded limp over to a seat. You see people making their way toward the core, flooding in toward that green, grassy area, making their way toward the center of town, toward the gleaming, bright temple of Palor. Over the next day, Misk and Miles go about doing what everyone is doing, helping one another. They heal where they can, they help where they can, and strangely enough, even these crooked little halflings are doing their part to put back together what had been torn apart so quickly. But after a time, as those that are gravely wounded have received what healing they can, and they're placed in a place of healing and a place of safety. Hours later, many hours later, Misk and Miles make their way back toward the second house. And on the steps of the house, Misk, you see sitting with a bandage wrapped around his head, uh, a bloody bandage, and an arm in a sling, and what seemed to be a lot of burnt fringes all over his clothes, the Shiv. Well, I am happy to see that both of you survived all of this. Well, me too. I just kind of look over at Miles, kind of grin a little. Miles looks down to realize that throughout all of this, he's he's lost his disguise. Right. Throughout all of this, you know, all, everything ceasing, everyone lowering their weapons, he's just kind of lost the disguise. Mm-hmm. So, Shiv, uh, are you mad at me? Should I be? I don't think so. I really did Miles, tell him. Tell him, Miles. I didn't do anything, like, against him. Okay, I don't like the look on your face, Miles. So, never mind, don't talk. Listen, Shiv, all you gotta know is, you said, take care of him. And I took care of him. Ain't that right, Miles? And I, her. I can see that. It seems that you two are as thick as thieves, as they say. And uh, you didn't tell me you were so good at wielding them blades. Misk, I told you the day that we met that I got this name for a reason. Now you know. But the elf lives. (laughs) As do I. You do. Not for lack of trying on his part or mine. Not gonna lie, it was it was pretty impressive. He stands up, wincing a little. You can tell that he's a little bit worse for wear. Well, this venture, while taxing, trying, 
painful, if I'm to be honest, is over. We have, as they say, made out like a bandit. Forgive me, all these thievery <laughs> puns. I, I just can't help myself sometimes. But uh, we were paid up front, and uh, it seems that Braxton was doing something extra nefarious. And you didn't even know about it. That's not my job to ask questions. My job is to do what I'm told and get paid handsomely for it. Oh, do I get paid? Don't worry, Misk. Have I ever let you go without? Hmm. <laughs> nah. But for now, if it's all the same to you two, I don't think I can spend one more night in this happy-go-lucky town. Oh, come on. Smiles look good on you. Of course they do, if you can tell that I'm smiling with this scar. <laughs> Regardless, our horses are waiting for us outside the city, and while everyone is clapping one another on the back today, I expect that tomorrow they'll want answers. Before we go, can... I don't know. I don't really want to ask you. I know you're going to say no. There's no harm in asking. I'm pretty sure that Saul was here. My brother. Ugh. I mean, if I could just see him. If I could even just see him from far distance. I mean... Let me put it to you like this, Misk. If I knew exactly where they were and could point you right to them to go... Say hello. I wouldn't tell you. But it doesn't matter, because I don't know where they are. And they're in the midst of this city amongst everyone else, and uh, we don't have time to look for them. I'm telling you, we're leaving now. So, do you have all of your things? Mm, let's see. Loot, backpack, cloak. Yeah, I'm good. Miles, I got him. <laughs> we're good. Miles, do you have all you need? Yes, everything besides my scrolls from inside. Ah, uh, well, gather those if you will, and uh, five minutes, we're leaving. Yes, sir. So you go about, you gather your things, and he waits for you on the doorstep. The three of you make your way, not right across the core, you sort of hug the inner wall of the city, going out the southwestern gate of the core, and then just quietly blending in with the crowd as best as you can. The three of you make your way out of the southern gate of Branshire. You walk for about a mile over a hill across the road, and you come to a little spot off in one of the fields where there wait dozens and dozens of hotfoot members there, their horses loaded up for a journey and ready to go. The Shiv walks you all forward. You all take your mounts, and he, turning to the crowd, says, Well, men. And misc. And women. Thank you. Sorry. Let's go home, shall we? I've missed the smell of the sea. And he spurs his pony forward. You all set forth, heading south and west toward the sunny and windy city of Breitbart. Fjorg, you awake 
to find yourself in a strange place. You're lying on a soft cot on the floor. As you get up, stir, you stretch, and you sit up, you notice that you're still very sore. Your body aches. Blood has dried on to your royal blue sleeveless shirt. It's stuck to your body. You feel of your chest and your stomach where there were wounds previously in the middle of that insane battle underneath the Temple of Palor, but your wounds are healed. There's no cuts, no gashes, but there is all this dried blood on your blue shirt, and your muscles are very tender and sore. You look around. To your right, you see Brackle. He lays on an identical cot to yours, still sleeping. Saul is nowhere in sight. Brackle. Huh? You wake in similar state. Your clothes are drenched in your own blood. They're, well, they're, I say they're drenched. They're dried. Your leathers are sort of stuck to you, but your wounds seem to be healed. And last thing you remembered, you were there beneath the Temple of Palor, and Braxton Tarek had struck you down with a powerful spell. Did we kill? Did we, what happened? Did Is it over? Did we, did we kill Braxton? Yeah, um, well, about that. I actually beat him. I killed him, I think. That's, that's good. That's good. I, I'm just glad to hear that. What about, did they finish the ritual? Did, did they kill Brianna? Actually, no, they didn't. There was some crazy stuff that happened. I saved her. I rescued her. Thank you. But um, then some crazy stuff happened. Like, Zahn showed up and he started uh, glitching out. Like, he was pretty weird. And then he grabbed onto um, Braxton. And then Braxton put his hand on the last altar thingy. So, Rihanna didn't get put on it. But then some crazy stuff started happening, and then Zahn basically broke a piece of the altar off, and then some crazy explosion happened, and then everything is fuzzy after that. That's very confusing, but I, th- I think I get what you say. It's, so did did Zahn stop him? Is the chain? I mean, I don't really know. Brackle, you look around, and you see a lot of nothing. I mean, there is... You assume a roof high above you, but you're in a very brightly lit area. Everything is white, just like the purest white marble you've ever seen. But the ceiling is so high up, you can't really see it. And the walls are off in what look like an infinite distance away from you. This is a strange place that you're in. Very, very disconcerting. Where are we? We're Saul and... Um, uh, since there was an explosion and everything seems to be all glowy, I'm not sure what, um, death is, but maybe something like that. Are we, are we dead? I don't know where Saul is either. Maybe he's in the other place. Back to the hells. As you all are sort of gathering your wits and looking around, everything is just bright and white. There are these pillars heading up to a 
ceiling far above you. The only thing that stands out is, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 feet from where you guys are lying on these cots. There is a golden runner, like a rug of sort, heading off in that direction. Let's follow that thing. Yeah, let's do that. Because there's nothing else to do here. So you two stand and begin to walk along this golden pathway? Yes. As you're walking along, you notice that at times it seems the walls are nearer to you, but at other times they look farther off. It almost seems as if this place is in constant flux. You know, it's not holding a, a single stationary shape for very long. At times it seems closer in, at times it seems far off in the distance. The only constant is this golden path leading you forward. You all walk for what seems like... I don't know, it's 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 hard to tell the passage of time where you are. You're just walking. And, and for a time, that's just the state you're in. You're just walking. You're just walking. And then you finally come to a point where the terrain changes. You come up to a staircase. It is a staircase leading straight upward. It, it seems to be suspended in the air. There's no pillars or sides to this staircase holding it up. And uh, you can see between each step, and it's just leading these flat steps up high above you. The golden runner continues up the steps. You go up the stairs. You're walking. Again, you just walk. You're just in this state of continuing forward, and the steps just appear before you the farther you go. After a time, you can't see the floor beneath you again. You can see these pillars standing without being able to see where they begin and where they end all around you. Everything is pure white marble. And then finally, you see up above you, the steps end, and you continue upward. As you crest the top of these stairs, you find yourself standing on a large white marble platform. It also seems to be suspended in midair. Stepping forward, you can see plainly that there are four smaller platforms hanging just a bit higher than the one upon which you're standing. Mm. There are four points around this circular platform that you're standing on. You know, imagine like the four points of a compass. And upon each one sits a strange, like a seat, like a chair, what you would all immediately identify as a throne. To the far left is an enormous chair of black stone lined with dwarven runes etched in mithril silver. At the head of this angular throne is carved the symbol of a crescent moon with an anvil inside. You all recognize it as the symbol of Dervetter. Closer inspection reveals that the black stone is actually aligned with a thin layer of frost. The next throne to the right is smaller, but still too large for a medium-sized creature. There's no back to it. It's just like a wide stool carved from the trunk of what Brackle would recognize as a cherry tree. Its bark is still intact. Embossed on the front of this seat is the Triquetra of Atonia. To the left of the stone throne of Dervetter is a narrow high-backed seat. It gleams white formed from pure and perfect pearl. Its high-back composed of these cylindrical flutes, and each one shines upward with the disparate colors of the rainbow. But as majestic as these three are to both of you, the final throne is breathtaking. At the northern point of this platform sits an enormous throne carved from gold. The arms of the chair are molded as the paws of a lion, and from the back of the seat are spread two great golden wings. 
And sitting upon this throne is a figure that is, at first, difficult to behold. Even sitting, he's no less than ten feet high. His features are full and muscular. His very being emanates power. He's arrayed in white robes that seem to be sewn together with threads of sunlight. Speaking of sunlight, it takes a few moments before you can really see his face, for his head is wreathed in the light of the sun, each hair upon his head and beard burning with a bright flame. Looking upon him is as unto looking upon the sun. Welcome, Brackle. Welcome, Fjord. To the chamber of the gods. There's no Saul? Nope, no Saul. Oh, Saul's in hell. Is this where the gods live? The gods do not live here, Brackle, but this is where we... This is where we meet from time to time. Where are the others? They are in their own places. So do you each have, like, a... Anyway, sorry, my manners, I kneel and say, my lord, I was, forgive me, I was, I was kind of stunned at the splendor and my cousin Jim's inquisitive, inquisitiveness has rubbed off on me. It's quite all right, Brackle. <laughs> I am sure that the two of you have many questions for me. But before we get to all of that, you all fought valiantly for your friends, and I honor you for it. Thank you for what you have done. You're welcome. Twas only my duty. Nothing more. The two of you stood test, a great test against an enormous evil. And there are not many that would have done what you did for yourself, for your friends, and for your homes. And I honor you. Thank you. You are welcome. But in spite of your greatest efforts, there were losses. Who? For one, I am afraid that Satsaris did not survive the battle. Where is he? What does that mean for him? Did we survive? Is this, is this the afterlife for us? Yes, you two have survived. Oh. I have brought you to this place to speak with you frankly, but the two of you are still living. Although we are not in the land of the living, this is, as I said, the chamber of the gods on this astral plane, where the power of the gods is law. And unfortunately for a tiefling, to pass from the mortal coil is to enter into the void. And so Saul, his spirit is not where the spirits of the living reside once they have passed on. But, as I said, in this place, my power is law. And so I believe perhaps I can bring him forth for a moment at least. Let's bring your friend Saul here. He stands to his feet, and he is big. He's towering above you all. It's hard to tell just how enormous and powerful he truly is and with a great booming voice he says Saul son of Serastus lost son of Branshire I call forth your spirit 
once more. And then an icy wind breaks forth from the black throne opposite where Palor sits, along with a blinding white light. And then as the light fades and the wind stills, you see a red-skinned tiefling, naked except for a white cloth about his waist, lying atop this great icy throne. That's all. You're awake. Immediately. Eyes shoot open. Mm-hmm. Sit up on the throne. Mm-hmm. Take a long, slow look around. Kind of dumbstruck at what I'm seeing. Of course. Then crosses a legling back in the chair and says, This is a seat fit for a prince indeed. Welcome back, Saul. <sighs> Welcome back. I would recommend if you would like to stay, though, that you quickly evacuate that chair. My brother is the god of death, after all. So it's, it's to the void with me then, huh? It's to, it's to the void now. He stands up nervously, looks at the chair, walks across, going to Kjorg, patting down, looking for a cigar. From the void you have come, Saul. Welcome to the chamber of the gods. I have brought you here from the void to speak one more time with your friends and to thank you. (laughs) My friends, where's Misk? I want to speak to Misk before I go. Misk is not here, Saul. Then my father, you'll let me speak to my father. Saul, you have things to answer for, things that we must discuss. I feel compelled to thank you for your sacrifice, for giving your life to stop the machinations of the unchained. But I also feel the need to impress upon you something. You died, Saul. Your time on Manumi has come to its end as a tiefling. You entered the void. I've called forth your spirit here to stand before us to thank you, but also to ask you a simple question. Have you learned anything, Saul? Saul stares at the floor for a long minute and looks back up best he can. Uh, I don't want to go. I haven't got to live yet. I haven't, I haven't done anything. I want to I want to speak to my father. I want to tell him that they're not all bad. That we don't have to conquer their world, that there's more than pain and suffering and torture and war and winning and power. That there's still adventure to be had and there's still there's still happiness and sadness and I want it all and I haven't I, it's not all bad. It's not all bad. I want to tell him. So yes, I've learned a lot with a little time, but not enough. It seems perhaps you have learned something. And perhaps much of what you have learned has come from observing your friends, Kjorg, Brackle, and Misk. Even now, Misk, in spite of a terrible fate that has befallen her, 
fallen victim to the forces of evil. She works as best she can toward good. But Saul, when you were given the chance to stand against evil, your response was to harm the innocent. You mean to do whatever it took to win? Saul, the ends do not justify the means. The way that you have done things in the past, it's shameful. And you say you have learned of life, that it's not all bad. But if we all adopt the same mindset, the one under which you've operated from the beginning of your time on Manumi, then perhaps it will all turn bad. But we will return to that in a moment. Brackle. That's me. You and Kjorg and Saul and even Misk, you have worked together and you have managed to, for now, stop the workings of the Unchained. Braxentaric is dead. Mm-hmm. He has been defeated. Kjorg, you saved Brianna. You're welcome. But in the final moments there beneath my temple in Branshire, in a moment of desperation, Tarek drove his own flesh onto that altar. And in spite of the fact that his blood was not what he was looking for, his connection to Branshire, his true claim to the throne, if you will, of Branshire, did trigger a reaction. And because of that, I believe that perhaps the chains holding back the darkness have been weakened. And so I've brought the three of you here. He sits back down. And he brings his enormous hand up to his face and he rubs his brow in frustration, which is kind of weird on the face of a god, you know? And so I have brought you here to speak of the gods' greatest failure, their greatest regrets. And while I cannot change the past, I intend to correct the future, and I will do so by beginning with the three of you here and now. Wait, the three? The th- so uh, it's not ending? I don't have to go back to the void? Perhaps. But before that decision is made, the three of you, well, the three of you need to know the truths of what we're dealing with. What are we dealing with? Kjorg, you seek out the strongest? Yes, the strongest. Obviously, I'm the strongest, but the next strongest. I want to show you something. And he brings his hand up, and he waves it. And as he does, the room around you moves in a blur, lightning quick. It's a little disorienting at first, but it's like you are all flying through time and space. But it doesn't feel like you're moving. It, it seems like the, the room is moving around you. You know what I mean? It's like you are locked in place, but everything else in existence is swirling and moving quickly around you. The immaterial whiteness of this chamber like fades away, and in its place sets in a darkness unlike anything that any of you have ever seen, with the exception of Saul. Now, Saul, you remember this and you recognize it. It's the void. It's an emptiness that cannot be described. 
outside of the confines of this platform on which you all stand, nothing exists. It's quiet. And as you stand in the presence of this emptiness, suddenly you notice as something stirs in the darkness, amidst the empty void, a form shifts. It is indescribable. Even daring to observe it as it moves makes each of you want to scream, to hide your face. But just when you think that you can endure no more, with this darkness appears something else. Four lights, small, shining, gleaming things like four small stars take form surrounding this empty, dark mass that shifts in the void. You see a silvery light, a green star, a blue one, and then the brightest of all, a bright golden light. These four stars settle in around the shapeless form in the void, and as it begins to move, they follow with it. This, young ones, is the birth of the gods. Each of these four lights that you see are myself and my brethren. The golden light is me. The silver, my brother Dreveder. The green, the goddess Atonia. And of course, the blue, the goddess Prevalian. Those four, yes. But what is, what is, what is that? What is the other? What is the, what is the, the fifth one? That is the secret that we have spent eons trying to keep. That, little ones, is the creator of the gods. But what? How? Something greater than the gods? He was first. We will call him the Crooked Father. He was before us. He brought us to be. The room begins to move again, and you see time flash before your eyes. It it passes quickly, and the twisted darkness, as it moves, it, it spins, twirling, swirling, and it brings forth these two colossal hands. I mean, that's the best way you can describe it. It's not like five fingered hands, but holding between them is a perfectly spherical piece of his essence. And the four stars surround it and they shine within his hands, their light. And around that form of his essence is formed a planet. I mean, that's the best way you could describe it. And soon you can see as this new world is formed and the essence of the Crooked Father grows and it gets bigger and bigger and you can all see down onto the face of this world. You see mountains and seas and rivers and, and things that don't have words that you can explain. You see creatures and, and you see creation. And then, forming on these beautiful and haunting lands, you see once their act of creation is finished, the crooked one, the crooked father, plunges it again into darkness. 
And these wretched creatures appear all over the face of this world, and chaos and wickedness flow over the lands like an ocean, tearing it apart. And from deep within the void, as the four stars, the gods, watch as these creations devour one another, there comes a low, rumbling laughter. Paylor turns toward the four of you again, and he says, And so we did again and again for eons. You're murderers. Yes. Saul smiles at him. We helped create life, create beauty. This was our purpose. But only for our father to each time plunge it into an irreparable darkness. As he watched with glee, each new world tore itself apart. He brought us into existence for this sole purpose. To aid in the birth of chaos and destruction. The light beyond the platform where you can all see the gods fades again. And you're shrouded in darkness, save for the glow of Palor's presence. No, we were not the first Brackle. Our crooked father, whose name we dare not speak, used us as tools of chaos for an eternity. It was all that we knew. These other worlds, were they... Was anything saved? Souls? No. So all is lost then. So what, what, what became, is, is this us? Is this what's happening next for us? I do not feign to make excuses for what we did, Brackle. But we never tried to create true sentient life before Manumi. We created living things, forests and creatures but not those that were self-aware, not those with a true, free existence, just mindless beings of chaos. Most were created concerning life by our Father. We simply helped shape them. He gave them life, and He set them on one another. And this was our existence, until there came a day when we four determined that we could no longer abide this chaos. And so speaking in our hearts one with another, we agreed to create one final world, for good or for ill. For this land, we would take our time, crafting each facet of creation with meticulous care. And so we did. We came upon this new world We took the essence of our crooked father, and we, in our light, created something new. We poured ourselves into this world, and for the first time, we did something that we had never before done. We created sentient life. And as he's speaking, a small light appears. And you can see it all happening as he's describing it. You can see a new world coming into view. 
This one isn't shown as a sphere, as a planet. It is stretched out below you so that you can see every corner of the world. And in spite of the fact that you've never seen it laid out before you in such a fashion, you all know it to be your world. I gave life to the humans. Dervetter, the dwarves. Prevalian, the elves. Atonia, the gnomes and halflings. But we dared not reveal this to our father, for we knew the fate that he would deal them. Like every world before it, he would raise it to the ground as his twisted creations slaughter our children. What about the orcs and the tieflings? It's a great question, actually. The tieflings are an anomaly. Uh, wait, an anomaly, but didn't we come from your father? Let me finish and all will be clear. <laughs> his hubris was his downfall. He never considered for one moment that his sons and his daughters would dare turn their will against his. And then you all see below you, you see the four stars above this land, this world, and you see their light shining down, creating this place. And you see the swirling form of the Crooked Father above, and you hear that same laughter begin to rumble as he begins to descend toward this newest creation to plunge it into darkness. You see as upon the face of Manumi come all of the wicked creatures that you know of the goblins, the orcs, the trolls, anything and everything that you can think of, all of the monsters of the world that threaten, the unnatural things that hide in darkness, things that many of you have never seen before, they begin to cover the face of this world. But just then, there comes something new. You see as a brilliant light runs across the land from the east, and you see the vibrant, lively colors of the land. Each new world that we built for him was only illuminated by our light, nothing more. And the moment that our father descended to set loose his creatures of chaos, those worlds were plunged into darkness. But this, on this world, we set our rebellion in motion with this, the rising of the sun. And as the light of the sun spreads across the land, the creatures of chaos flee before it, hiding themselves beneath the mountains, deep in the caves, sheltering themselves in darkness. And then our children stepped out into the light. And you all see. You see the humans and the elves, the gnomes and the halflings, the dwarves. All across this land, they step out into the light of the sun, looking up, taking in its warmth, you're witnessing the first moments of life on your world, and it's beautiful. But as this vibrant, living, breathtaking land begins to glow in the vibrant light of the sun, that shapeless darkness of the Crooked Father begins to writhe above it in fury. And from it comes forth a sound that makes your blood run cold. A deep ringing cry of fury. And as he descends toward this new creation to plunge it into darkness and to destroy it utterly, the four stars 
swooping down, stand vigilant between him and their world below. In a flash, they burst forward toward him, weaving between each of them a chain of pure light, gold, silver, green, and blue. In the brightness of this sun, their father, taken off guard and momentarily weakened in this light, they wrapped him in their light and crushed his form together, holding back his power as great, black, swirling tendrils of darkness stretched in every direction. The more they press, the more his form snakes outward, swirling shadow. But then, with a final push, they drive him down, his shrunken form toward the deep blue oceans beneath. The waters part before them, his swirling power writhing upward toward them, lashing them each with darkness. But as they drive him deeper and deeper, he becomes smaller and smaller, their chains latching themselves onto the black rock at the ocean floor. The silver light drives them to the hard rock while the gold directs the sun onto the crooked god. The green calls forth great beasts from the sea to hold back his great swirling tendrils. And finally, with a rush of wind, the blue brings the waves of the oceans crashing again over the prison that they've crafted for him. Red, hot earth and sea swirl together, enclosing a prison around the formless darkness of their father. Moments pass, the seas toss and the winds blow. But then with finality, all becomes still. As you're all standing there stunned and shocked, the image of Monumi below fades again, and you are returned once again to the white brightness of the Chamber of the Gods. Thus was the world made, and we named it Monumi, which in the language of the gods means freedom, for we were free, and our children could finally be free. There were great wars that followed, wars to drive the tenants of darkness off from the face of Monumi, the creatures of chaos. And they linger still, but we prospered, and our children fought. And my brethren and I, the gods, we agreed that we would never put our hands to the workings of our children directly. Our hands were tainted by the blood of billions. Instead, we stood vigil, and we watched, and we gave our blessing. We blessed with the sun and the sea, and the seasons of the world. We blessed with the harvest. We blessed with love and kindness and goodness and death. The next step, a life to follow this life. But not for the tieflings. Not for me. <laughs> uh, Saul's like about to go mad. Saul, it is true. The tieflings are outside of our domain. They are not our children. The devils and the demons of the hell, their world predates mine. As far back as I can recall, the hells have existed. And they worked in tandem with our father. He gave them 
the remaining souls of all of those creatures of chaos to power the hells. But only after we created Monumi have so many over the centuries and millennia of this existence, so many have left the hells and they have chosen to join my children here. Yes, at the cost of immortality, at the cost of the memories of, of our families, of everything we knew. That was your choice. What a choice. What a terrible choice. It is one that you made. I did. And I won't be held responsible for it, Saul. And I recommend that going forward as you speak, understand, I want to help you. And it would do you well to kneel. Hmm. Not going to touch this one. <laughs> Good call. Jorg is still confused about all this because he's dumb. Yes. To help me. To help me from what? Can you keep me from the void? Can you help me? Yes, I can. It is not a matter of whether or not I can, Saul. It is a matter of whether or not I should. And if I will. What will you do, Saul? Saul takes a knee. And stares at the floor. Smart. Kjorg. Brackle. Your blood is the blood of my people. Of humankind. Only half of it. That is of no matter to me, Kjorg. You are my son. As are all the people in whom the blood of humans flows. Will you kneel as well, Kjorg? Yes. And then I know. Brackle. You have served my will from birth. For the protection and the love of Branshire is my heart. No place on the face of Manumi do I love as I love Branshire. I ask you now, Brackle. Knowing what you know, will you kneel? My apologies. I... I'm a bit unsettled, to be honest. If... I always thought the gods to be absolute, to be the uncaused cause, the the arbiters of all that is, of good and ill. But to know that there is one more ultimate, and he is evil, but can, can the ultimate, the sovereign, the one above all, be evil? I mean, is he not what, who dictates what is good or ill? But... If you were able to imprison him, then surely he may not be, he cannot be absolute. So, yes, I will kneel, but know that I must ponder these things. Because I love Branshire, and we have a common goal, and you have protected this land. Yes, I will kneel. I will kneel, and I will follow you, but I don't fully understand. My faith is not what it was before he stands up from off of his throne and he steps down from his platform onto the same floor where you all are now standing or kneeling and as he does he he shrinks he comes down to a much smaller i mean he's still 10 feet tall 
but he's just standing above you now. And he reaches forward and he places a hand on your shoulder. And he leans down just a bit to look directly into your face, Brackle. And you feel the warmth radiating off of the sunlight that's coming from him. And he says, I am sorry, Brackle. And I understand why your faith would be shaken. But you must see. Yes, all that is came from something that was crooked, something that was dark. But it is not from where we come that truly matters. It is what we do with what we are given. It is standing up for what is right. And that is what I and my brethren have done. All of our workings have been to create a life where this is possible, one that can be lived for good, where righteousness and right and happiness and joy can prevail rather than chaos. And that is an admirable goal, an admirable dream, but what is right if the ultimate judge is crooked, right and wrong? Where does that come from? Is that out there somewhere written in the tablets from the cosmos or is it merely what you four say? What if you four disagree or change your mind? What is right? I understand, Brackle. I understand that this is difficult. Do you have an answer? What makes what you do right? From where do you get your convictions? I get my convictions from within. I look and I judge, Brackle, for myself between truth and lies, between order and chaos. And I decide for myself, which is the same that each of you has done. And so I have used this simply as my own compass, that my actions not bring pain and suffering on those that are good, on those that do not seek the destruction of others. And that is the best answer that I can give you, Brackle. Brackle stops for a moment. He thinks, and he says, Then I suppose we align. He was already kneeling. He stands and reaches as if to shake his hand and looks him in the eye. So, Brackle, as you stand, um, there's something that you notice, and you hadn't paid any attention to it really until this moment, but in this place you have no shadow. Light is emanating from every direction, the floor, the ceiling, the walls from Palor. There's no shadow. It's a weird, you know, you've you've noticed this place is weird, right? The walls run away from you and you just saw the creation of all things. So, you know, it's weird. There's no shadow. And as you reach forth your hand before you, at your feet, you see a darkness, a shadow, And Pelor leans down, he kneels onto one knee, and he grabs your hand in an act of good faith. And he pulls you closer, and he leans up next to your ear, and he says quietly so that only you can hear. Watch your shadow, Brackle. And then he stands. All of you, rise to your feet. Saul stands up. Me too. I have much to tell you still, 
but we've been long already. So let me, let me deal with this first of all. Saul, you have sworn yourself in fealty to me. You have bowed your will to me. If you want to live, if you want to continue, then you must become a son of Pelor. Pelor? Of you? Yes. If that means life, then I can do it. You were not born as one of my children, but I am willing to, in a fashion, adopt you, to take you on as my own. If you desire that, you can continue forth. But things will be different. You will be different. But you will continue and you will experience life. Is this what you desire? <laughs> I, I do. And I would be grateful. Step forward. He does. You step forward. And from his waist, he draws a sword. And you recognize it. It is a rapier. A paler marked rapier. The same that he carried when he was Zahn. And he reaches it toward you for you to take the hilt. Saul does just that. Saul, you grasp the hilt of this sword, this rapier. And as you do, it ignites in flame. But nothing like what you had in the hells. It ignites with a bright orange flame, the same fiery burning that is coming from his hair and his beard and the sun. It burns with the light of the sun. And as it burns, it doesn't burn your hand. It doesn't feel hot. It feels warm. And you feel this warmth consume your body and your skin changes from the deep burnt red. It just takes on a little bit more of an orangish hue. It's still red, just a little brighter. You open your eyes and your solid pupils glow with a golden light. Oh, Saul smiles and flicks the sword around a few times and tosses his black hair and raises it in the air and goes, now this is worthy of a prince. (laughs) Welcome, Saul. Kjorg. Kjorg. In the final contest against Braxantarek, you showed your worth not only in strength, but in heart. You fought to the last, and you reigned victorious over Braxantarek, whose power even I couldn't see. <laughs> Kjorg, I am looking for a champion. Someone who will go forth. And the day may even come that you will need to stand with me in battle against the crooked god. Are you willing to take this mantle, Kjorg? Did you say you're looking for a champion? I did. (laughs) Oh no. Oh my gosh. Cause I'm the people's champion! Yes, you are, Kjorg, and I would like for you to be Palor's champion. Will you accept this? Of course. He reaches down and he places a hand on your shoulder, Kjorg, 
and you feel a similar warmth, the warmth of his power just flow through your veins. And it's similar to the way it felt when you wielded that mace and struck the final blow against Raxantaric. And you feel strength like you've never felt. It's just welling up inside of you. And it almost feels like it's going to just burst forth, but it doesn't. I've given you my blessing, Kjorg. And when you go forth, know that in times of great need, my power will rise up within you. For you are my champion. What kind of power? You'll just have to wait and see. I also give you my blessing, Brackle. And this is what I need from each of you. I need you to go forth. You say that we are aligned. Will you help me, Brackle? Will you go forth as an agent of the gods? I will. He places a hand on your shoulder as well. And similarly, you feel a warmth come into your body and you feel what you feel, Brackle, honestly, more than anything, is a rightness. Mm. Like you would, at the very least, you feel like maybe you made the right decision. Like a sort of shalom. Yeah. (sighs) And so here is what I need from the three of you. I need you to go forth. The unchained, the agents of darkness, those who are seeking to set loose the crooked god are moving on the face of this world. Almost two years past now, the canopy, the central home of the children of Atonia, was destroyed by one of the Dracon Kelly. You have met Hopenkel, his sister Dimvarga. She wreaked havoc on that land. And she traveled to a place not so distant from where we are now. And she set in motion all that is now moving. She set in motion those that are seeking to unchain the crooked god, to undo all that we have done. And she uncovered the heart of the crooked father. (gasps) When we locked him away, We took from within his chest, within his being, the core of his power, and we locked it away. Who, who is this, who is this Dimvarga, and and where do we find her? She is gone. How do we, we could just kill the heart. I did not know these things. I did not know that the heart was recovered, that it was taken, until I stood there facing Braxton Tarek, and I felt the presence of the crooked god on him directly. And I've spoken with Atonia. There have been many things that have been hidden from my eyes. And I don't have time to tell you everything that has occurred, so let me simply put it like this. Those that are moving to set free the crooked god have been given a modicum of his power. Dimvarga is no more. But there is a force of darkness that is moving, and this power is shielded from our view. I can't tell you where they are or where they're going next. But I believe that they will strike against each of the four gods. Upon the final day of the festival of the rising sun, the summer solstice, the day when my power burns the brightest in the light of the sun, as the sun sets the moment of dusk, I am weakened. 
And that is when Braxton and his ilk tried to destroy me. And had they been able to kill me with that ritual beneath my own temple, it would have broken my chain. And I am afraid that if one chain falls, the Crooked Father might once again break forth from his prison. In spite of the fact that they did not fully succeed, as I said, a reaction did occur when Braxton struck his hand onto that altar, and I am afraid that my chain may have been weakened. And I believe they will strike again on the three days most powerful of the three gods. The day of the autumn equinox, the day of the winter solstice, and the spring equinox. They will strike again. It's their only play. So you're saying we should strike where? Strike... Do we know where? Where, where? where they would strike next? The next one would be the fall, right? Yes, Saul. And I believe that you should go. You should go to Fallen Grove. I will send you with my blessing. And I want you to try your best. Suss out. Find it. I believe that you can. And I will help in any way that I am able. In spite of the fact that the gods, we vowed to stay out of the movings of our children for millennia. Now I believe the time has come for the gods to move. And so we will. Go forward, Saul. I will. I'll go. But what what about my sister? Misk, she's been taken to Brightport, and I, I told her I would save her. And if I'm going back, I need to help her. What about Misk? I want to help Misk, and I intend to, but there is no time, Saul. You must go to Fallen Grove. You have only a few short months now to discover what the Unchained are planning. I intend to help Misk. I intend to send agents of mine, if I may, to rescue her, to set her free, but Her blood was signed. She made an oath. To break it means death. And until she can be set free from that oath, I can't just snap my fingers and fix all the problems of the world, Saul. I don't have that power. But I will try to help Misk. You keep your bargain, and I will keep mine. Saul gives a nod and starts nervously patting around for a cigar. No cigars here, Saul. Maybe when you get back, you will go to Fallen Grove? I will go to Fallen Grove. Go to the canopy where they are rebuilding. Speak with the druids of Atonia there. She will bless your travels as well, I believe. Find the darkness there. You've seen it now, Saul. With your own eyes. I believe you will find it. Kjorg. Yes. Go north. To the mountains. To Dwarfholm. To Dimmerhold. The realm of the god Dervetter. They are a warrior race. Strong. I believe they will accept you. And come winter, I believe that the agents of darkness will seek to weaken the hold of Dervetter here on Manumi as well. I need you to go find those wicked ones and drive them out. We cannot let the chain be broken. Not one link. You understand? Yeah, I understand. You are Palor's champion. No evil will stand before your might. 
That's right. Brackle? Yes? Will you sail for Vinthaven, the realm of Crevalian, the home of the elves, and begin your search for the corruption in that place? I shall. But first, elves are a refined and eloquent race. I'm but a country bumpkin. So, yes, how shall I prepare? Strengthen yourself. Prepare yourself. Say goodbye to those that you love in Branshire for a time. And head east toward Barland's Pass. Sail from there, around the bottom of the world through the ocean, to Ventaven. You will find on the way that Brightport is a common stop for ships. I believe that perhaps you might be able to throw a wrench in the machinations of those that call themselves the Hot Feet. Mm, approximately how long will it take for me to collect every one of their feet like Saul does with the ears? I'm not sure that's necessary. I think so. Take action as you see fit, Brackle. But you must reach Venthaven. You have time. Time to find out just exactly what it is that's going on there before spring comes of the new year. Before Prevalian is threatened. But don't lose yourself. Don't lose track of time. Venthaven will be my priority. It seems to me as though the three of you are ready. Maybe. <laughs> I was born ready. So you'll travel to the three corners of the world? We must stop the Unchained. That sounds like really hard. It is going to be very hard. Maybe for you, Brackle. I think we will do this. I give you my blessing. My power goes with you. And I will be watching. And if I can, I will help. And I will be speaking with the gods. Hopefully I can convince them that now is the time for action. And Brackle, hopefully Prevalian will send a champion to help you as well. And you, Saul, Atonia. And you, Kjork, Dervetter. The champions of the gods. Saul's smiling toothfully. Thank you for all that you have done. And now I think it's time. Are you ready? Yes. Saul's just looking for the door. Of course we're ready. I'm already the people's champion. Then I suppose this is goodbye for now. Thank you. Thank you for everything. And with a clap of his hands, you all wake up. Where? Where do we wake up? You're in the barley barrel. Where's my fence? (laughs) People are bustling about. You see uh, those bringing food to tables. People are drinking and having fun. It's probably midday, and you're just back in Branshire, and everything just seems normal. Is there food and drink on the table? There are. It looks like you guys have been eating it. Saul tears into whatever's in front of him. This is... Okay. This is delicious. Ah. I think we need to hurry and get out of here, but... Oh, wait. Peasant, come here. Uh, bourbon. Tall one. Two of them. Uh, whoa. Brackle. I think we need horses. Are we leaving today? I think we should leave immediately. 
I think we should leave very quickly. Yeah, we we should probably leave. As you all are just kind of talking and disoriented, uh, Boren, the proprietor of the Barley Barrel, comes walking by. How's everything going, gentlemen? You have everything that you need? Yes. Uh, 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 can I, can we get some food for, uh, for the road? I need a horse. Sure, sure, sure. We've already been making provisions, as you asked. Horses are on their way, uh, as well as, uh, oh. all you'd need for a long journey. We already discussed this. Oh, uh, we did? Uh, okay. Uh, how about that bourbon? Sure, sure. I'll take care of that for you as well. Are you sure that you need that if you're heading out on a journey? No, no, definitely don't need it. This all's just all sorts of twisted up right now. So, what's happened the last few days? I know it's a strange question to ask. Anything of excitement? Uh, you could say that. What do you mean? I mean, you've been here. Yes, yes, but... Man, I think I hit my head or something. I'm having some trouble. Yeah, yeah, me too. With memory. Maybe it's just that it all happened so fast. Well, there was a great battle outside the city gates. Some sort of resistance was being propagated by Brianna, the, the lady of the city, and it was insane. There were all these halflings from Brightport that showed up. It was like nothing Branchard's ever seen. How, how can you forget something like that? I was somewhere else. Mentally, I mean. Brackle, are you all right? No. <laughs> About that time, you guys uh, notice that someone else comes walking up to the table. Uh, she pulls up a chair and sits down with a plate. And uh, it's Lelia. She's going to sit down here and eat lunch with you, Brackle. Oh, how was your lunch? It was very lunchy. Lelia, talk to Brackle. I think he might be needing some uh, some healing. You all might need to go see the clerics. He says he can't remember anything from the last couple days. Greater restoration, that should do it. Brackle, are you okay? No, but I will be. Okay. So can you can you just give us a recap of uh, what what's going down the past few days? I know we, we had some, some resistance. We had some what what's where's Braxton? Where's Brianna? What's what's oh, going on? Braxton Tarek is dead. Apparently he was conniving to bring in some sort of army for something take the city by force which is crazy he already had he was the mayor but there was a great battle there were all of these how did he die yeah who killed him did they cut off his ears i knew he died i just don't know what happened apparently he was trying to perform some sort of ritual in the first house he murdered bridget and tyriella and he tried to kill Brianna as well. I killed him. You killed him. And I saved Brianna. How's Brianna? Where is she? She's in the city. She's trying to restore everything. But, you know, as bad as all that sounds, it seems like things are really on an upswing in Branshire. You know, it's tragic, all that befell, but it seems like Braxton was more than just a corrupt businessman. He was some sort of monster. You know, he'd been having people killed? Yes, it's it's a good thing he's he's been handled. Well. I just can't even, I don't even want to think of the destruction and death he had wrought here. It's all right. We'll, we'll build it back up, Brackle. We'll make everything right. Yes, I trust you to do that. You all finish your lunch after a few minutes of just rest. 
Saul, you get a message from one of the halflings working there at the Barley Barrel that your horses and everything ready for the journey are ready. And so you get up and the three of you, I'm assuming, step outside, heading toward the stables? Yes. Gentlemen, I have to say, it has been a terrible time. Hmm. I agree. (laughs) He's laughing when he says this. Jorg, perhaps we will meet again, and same for you, Brackle. Maybe when this is over, we'll get to find Misk together. Brackle, you in particular, you're heading towards the coast. Maybe maybe you'll get to see her first. Ah, I honestly have no idea where I'm going, but Kjorg, I bet you that I will make it to the canopy before you ever make it to Dwarf Home. There's no way that's happening. I bet it will. <laughs> Shall we call it a race? If you want to lose, that's fine. I bet a hundred gold <laughs> that I make it to my goal first. Um, I'm not sure how we're going to how to determine that. Well, when you get there, just uh, shout really loudly. Oh, okay. That will work. Uh, yes. About that time, you hear uh, someone comes running up. Oh, h- hello. One, one second. Don't leave just yet. Um, Mr. Boren told me to give you this. He said that uh, a strange figure, some guy in dark clothes and a, <laughs> I don't know, some older guy, he left this for you. He said to give it to you before you left. Saul reaches out his brighter red hand. That's for me then. And takes it and opens it. It's a uh, like a small pouch, like a package, and you untie the uh, little thread that's holding it closed, and you reach inside and you pull out three small stones, a red one, a blue one, and a green one. I pick Charmander. <laughs> and you see <laughs> I pick with them, with, of course you do, which means that Brackle gets Burbasar. Hey, I've always been a Burbasar. <laughs> you've, al- you've always been a Burbasar. I've always been a Burbasar. <laughs> that, that could be the name of the episode. I love Bulbasaur. <laughs> oh, Me gosh. Too. Along with it is a little note that simply says, Though you are separated by a great distance, all you need do is hold these stones within your hands to speak. And they're, you know, stones of far speech. Well, George, I will beat you through the canopy. No. I'll be there before you make it to Dwarf Home. I pick up the stone, mm-hmm. blue one. Mm-hmm. I put it up to my mouth mm-hmm. and scream. You won't beat me there! <laughs> Is it working? <laughs> 